to He Says, She Says, God Says. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Emily. How are you? I'm very well. It's been a long time since we've sat across the table in the recording studio with microphones talking about podcast introductions. It certainly has been, and trying to get to this appointment has been something else. I think it's moved along in our diaries for, what, about three weeks now? It's not good enough. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about, I think the title of this episode is going to be called Digital Parenting. Hmm. It's not parenting using digital means. It's about... Remotely. (laughs) Remote control parenting. (laughs) It's about parenting in the digital age. And uh, we have Jed and Briar, who are very experienced in this space. They are school counsellors, both qualified school counsellors. In fact, they work in the same school. And they work with kids of all ages. Mm, Their experience is vast and... I feel as if I learn something every time I listen to one of their seminars or even when we're having a discussion with them directly. Yeah, it's amazing. And so you'll hear, regardless of what age your kids are, whether they are, and you should listen to this if you've got newborns, you know, one or two-year-olds even, um, when you're starting to think about giving them a screen or an iPad or something like that to play with right up to, you know, teenage years. Uh, there is gold in here for every single parent. I think not only parents, but I think grandparents should also Mm. listen to it because they need to have an understanding as well what their children are facing in this digital age and how, how different it is. So it's fascinating, not only on a what is it doing to our kids, what's the right amount of time, uh, a whole bunch of tactics here that you can use, but there's so... There's a whole lot of understanding, but it's also about how to keep your kids safe online too. So So important these days. It's a great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. No doubt. Jed and Briar, welcome to He Says, She Says, God Says. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining joining us in our home today. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about parenting and particularly parenting in the digital age. Now, by way of introduction, you're both school counsellors. Yes. Um, which you've obviously had professional training in, um, and that's your career now, both of you? Yes. Mm. So how long have you been doing that for? Uh, 12 years for me. Um, and eight years for me, yep. And you're also both spiritual Christians as well? Yes. yes. Uh, which is good. And so you work inside of a school. That's what you do every day is, is counsel students and help students with the challenges that they face? Yes, we work in a school environment and the school that we work at, there are around 1,500 students yep. and we work from reception to year 12, so pretty much 6 to 18-year-olds. So that gives us a cross-section of seeing children grow and develop and uh, gain an understanding around uh, the things that they're dealing with. And I guess the reason that uh, parenting in the digital age is important is because pretty much everything that we deal with, there is an, a link somehow to technology right. uh, because it's such a, a huge impact on and part of uh, our children's lives. Mm. And so there is always an element where that's influencing and working there. So we're we're learning with them. So over all the kids that you see, you're seeing these themes come through. Absolutely. Yeah. So how many kids would you typically work with during the year? We have, we both work three days a week and each day that we're there, we'd see seven students a day. And that basically equates to about 800 sessions that we would have with various students over a 
over the school year. Um, so we might see, see one child, you know, three times a term for several terms. So that's sort of how we, we operate yeah, okay. in that way. And are the kids coming to you because the teachers have sent them there? Are they coming to you because they want to see someone or are they coming to you because the, the parents, you know, see a challenge that the kids Basically face? Basically all of that. Uh, if the teachers notice any change in behaviour or if they can have any concern, they can book an appointment, the kids can book an appointment themselves and often the culture at the school is that they will book an appointment yeah. themselves if yeah. they're worried about something. Uh, and, of course, parents can book the appointments or we can book an appointment. So whenever we see a student uh, at the end of the session, um, we will flick an email and uh, the student will be booked in for another session whenever we feel that's appropriate. It might be a week or two weeks or two months' time, uh, just depending on the sorts of things that we're dealing with our students. Yeah. So what are you seeing today? What's changed and what are you seeing today compared to when you were at school or when I was at school where, you know, I was sort of in school at the very early part of, you know, digital change? What are the themes that you're seeing that are impacting kids today? Oh, it's very broad, really. I think that over the last probably 10 or 12 years, we, we've actually noticed a lot of the changes, but as often is with research and studies and things like that, the studies will come after the identified changes. So the studies are very much coming through that sort of support the changes that we've been seeing for quite a long time, just in um, student behaviour, the culture that they are sort of dwelling in. And a lot of that does relate to the fact that all of them have access all, all the time to some form of, of digital screen. I work with the girls predominantly, apart from in junior school, we work with the girls and the boys. With girls, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Eating disorders have escalated by up to 300%. So disordered eating and, and things like that are really becoming very manifest with girls, body image. All sorts of things like that are really impacting children. So we're seeing a lot more self-harm, a lot more suicidal ideation. Just recently I saw a study that said that girls between the age of 8 and 13, the rates of self-harm has gone up by 150%. Wow. Yeah, so it's just huge. So those sorts of things, that's what I'm seeing uh, and working through those sorts of things with families and with the children. Jed probably sees other aspects. Oh, with the boys. So with, with the boys... Uh, in the younger ages, it's usually anger, anxiety, depression, uh, gaming addiction, and often porn addiction uh, because they have access to um, the world generally. And generally, there are, for most of the, the kids that I see, the boundaries aren't solid. And the protections aren't there to keep them safe online. And so, when are they? When is this turning up? How early in you know, in their life are they you know, having access to pornography or seeing you know, things like that for the first time? Uh, we we hear about it from year one, which is seven. But by year five, which they're ten, probably ninety five percent of them have looked at pornography online. Um, I ask the boys, do they tell, the, tell their parents about it? And they go, no, because the parents will take off my devices right. uh, off me if I um, tell them so I don't say anything. And, and I usually say to them then, well, what do you think we need to do about this? And they said it's not fair. The adults should control what we see online 
we shouldn't have to make those choices and decisions because we're only 10. The adults, meaning the government or society generally, Right. That they should be, they feel they should be able to go online and feel safe and not have to deal with those sorts of things. And rightly so at 10, yeah. they shouldn't have to make those choices. And I assume it's not just pornography. I assume it's other things like, you know, bullying and other things that, you know, go on, go on as part of that. So, so they understand that self-regulation is not something that they can do. They don't want to tell their parents because they don't want their devices taken away. Wow, that puts them in a really difficult spot, doesn't it? I think also it's their main, for a lot of kids, it's their main form of communication with all their friends. So I know with the girls that plays into it a lot. Um, What I've seen over the last five or six years is that the children that are being given an iPhone are getting younger and younger and younger. So often, you know, five or six years ago, they were kids who were in year eight. Now they're in year three and four and they've got their phone and they're always on their phone and, and, what have you. So that makes it very difficult for them to, I guess, learn the communication skills that normally at that developmental age, they would actually be learning um, and learning how to communicate outside of that. So it's it's a huge contributing factor that that's how they communicate with each other through Snapchat and, and you know, all of the different social media sites. So there's a lot of online bullying. There's a lot of shaming that, that occurs on that. It is just something that is so much part of their lives. Children at that age and, and older see their phone and their social connections via the social media as being an extension of themselves. So it's not real unless it's on Facebook it's, or Snapchat. It's, it hasn't happened unless everybody else knows about it and sees it. And so the impact of that on their self-esteem and their self-worth is really, really impacted. So, you know, their mood is completely dictated by what sort of response they're getting online. So, Jed, last year we uh, did some workshops up in Queensland uh, with the fellowship up there uh, around this topic. And one of the things that you talked about there was not advocating for let's all go back to, you know, pens and paper and, and face-to-face is the only way of communicating. But you talked a lot about what stages of life you should start to introduce technology um, and how many hours per day, et cetera. Can you talk to that? Sure. I guess the the thing when talking to parents, most parents feel powerless when it, and uh, or not really sure of what they can do and what is an acceptable thing to do in uh, dealing with the amount of time you know, kids spend online, what they look at, uh, what other kids are allowed to do and these sorts of things. And they, they generally, the feeling that I get with talking to most parents is, they feel powerless. And uh, what we want to do is empower the parents to get understanding and context around the world in which the children are living in and then what the things that they can do and that they can put in place that uh, help the their child have a balanced life. Mm-hmm. And that's what we talk about a lot is balance. We can't expect an eight-year-old to make adult choices about responsible gaming and what they're looking at online because they're eight. Uh, We can't expect a 13-year-old to make those sort of choices. Their brain's under construction. And uh, at that time, developmentally, their brain is actually being rewired and doesn't finish till their early 20s. And so... So this is a sort of puberty when it kicks in, right? 
Yeah, so at puberty, the brain does this thing called synaptic pruning where it kills off about 20 billion brain cells or neurons. And uh, so then there's lots of parents going, uh huh, yeah, nodding, yeah, listening yeah, now. Yeah, that's we right. get it. So the brain's under construction and it gets rewired then from a child's brain to an adult's brain so that it can cope with adult thinking. And that happens over a period of time from puberty to adulthood, which is early 20s. And so literally their brain's under construction and uh, they, uh, they find it difficult to make wise choices and often use the L-plates learning to drive a car thing where you have to have a licensed driver in the car. Life is like that as well. And children at that age need their parents to be able to be the licensed driver who points out what things uh, that need attention and what to look out for and having balance in their life is one. So the things that are important that we say to the kids is the you need healthy sleep, you need good exercise, uh, good food and balance in your life. And so, yes, you're online, you're on technology, um, have an amount of time that you spend with that, but you also have family time, you have your responsibilities, uh, your sport. Uh, nothing is put aside in preference of the time you spend online. So there's balance. So what is healthy? So what, what is a healthy balance? Because I imagine there's parents listening who are going, that sounds good in principle, but what? How do I bring that to practice? It's uh, it's always a difficult question, but um, actually, the World Health Organization advocates no screens under five. So most pe- parents will feel really terrible when they hear that, but yeah. that's what they so say. nothing at all. Not not grabbing mum's phone while they're out having a no. coffee. No screens. What about TV? So that's the World Health Organization. The American Psychological uh, Association says no screens under two. So there is a a conflict over it. But uh, the main thing is that from zero to three, the brain goes under massive programming and development, and it actually needs input from the world around us. And if that's focused to a small screen in the child's hand, then it limits the input that it should be getting at the right time. So, so in terms of physical input, so, you know, I'm rolling, I'm playing with a ball, I'm in the dirt three outside. Di- three-dimensional interaction with other people and, and learning visual responses and emotional responses and learning how to navigate all of that. And, it, you know, it can become a pacifier, which makes life a lot easier. However, the child actually doesn't learn then to regulate themselves. Yeah, okay. So long-term vision, short-term vision, all of those things are being wired at that time. So if the focus is uh, spending lots of time focused on a small screen, then there are things that aren't happening that should be happening at that time. And is it just related to screens? I mean, if a kid, you know, just basically stuck their face in a book for three their first three years of their life, would they have the same? Were they technically likely to have the same problems? I would imagine that they'd, they'd still need to have balance, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is is exploring uh, the world around them and getting used to muscle hand-eye coordination, muscle coordination. Those is the, the fine-tuning is what the, the body's doing, getting them ready for walking and then getting them ready for playing sport and then getting them ready to uh, participate in a, a, a teenager's world yep. where all of those things are dealt with. 
Passive books are not designed to be as captivating visually and uh, from all of the sensual sort of aspects of life. So it's very rare that a child would actually engage in a book for for more than a couple of minutes. (laughs) So beyond three, I introduce uh, to my child a screen for the first time. Um, We'll talk about parental controls in a sec. How often am I letting them use the screen per day? The... Uh, recommendations are for uh, children 6 to s- to 17, about two hours, two hours a day. day. Yeah. Yep. And does that include time that they might do at school as well? Uh, no. No, this is recreational screen time, yeah. 6 to 17 is 2 and 18 up, 2 to 4. Yeah. So... I think that's kind of looking at it from the impact that it has developmentally on all of the other aspects of a child's mm. development, as you were saying before. Mm. Yeah. And I assume there are kids doing way, the kids, some of the kids you're seeing are doing way more than way, that. Way, way, way more. And one of, one of the difficult things is um, uh, that everything that they're looking at is designed to be addictive. And I would suggest to anyone who's interested in this to watch the program that's called Social Dilemma. It actually explains thoroughly from all of the top people that design all of the programs that are for our consumption via social media, explain how they've been created to be addictive. And so... There's a documentary on Netflix on or Netflix, something like that. Yeah. Social Dilemma, that's right, yes. So, and of course we are, we are, we do become addicted to them. And, and the difficulty that we're seeing with a lot of kids as they're growing up is that they remain on their devices for the majority of the night, you know, like a lot of kids won't actually disengage until midnight. So they're missing out on a tremendous amount of sleep. They're being becoming stressed because of what's going on online with their connections with other friends and things like that as well. And so the impact of that obviously overflows to the next day with fatigue. You see a lot of kids that are very fatigued at school. And one of the first things we'll, we'll ask them is, well, you know, what's your sleep like? And the majority of them are staying on their devices until really late into the night. So, so the impact of that is on their quality of learning? Yes. What are, what are the other impacts that had the... So it impacts the relationships in the family as well. And so a lot of the parents will come and see us and they'll be really struggling with the behaviour of the children, the way they talk to themselves, uh, to the parents the way they talk to their siblings and uh, the problems that it causes in the family. So what, exa- what exactly? So when the way they interact, what, are, they, are they angry? Are they sad? Are they withdrawn? It's, like, it's usually the- angry uh, for boys because I work mainly with boys. Yeah. So with boys it's often anger and, uh, and frustration and uh, with their siblings and with the parents and they're clashing all the time and sometimes that has got to a point where it's actually starting to cause problems in the marriage because the husband and wife can't agree on what to do because generally they don't know what they feel disempowered to be able to do anything and there's the easiest thing is always give the child what they want and then at at least we'll have peace and quiet in the family but we talk to them about uh, some things that are uh, fairly basic and we always say look Technology is a privilege, not a right, and uh, that privilege comes with some provisos. And uh, they might be 
the the parents have to approve what they're looking at online. So how do they do that? They have a look at what their their um, the apps are that are they have access to. Um, they might have a look at their search history and see what they're searching up. They may have restrictions as to what sites they can go on, and uh, and that's okay. We wouldn't let our child just go out and and uh, wander the streets of Adelaide and do what they like, and yet digitally they can wander the world and go anywhere and do what they like. And so uh, there That's has good point, to be... isn't it? You don't really think about them in the same context, but they're exactly the same, aren't they? The world at their fingertips yeah. 24-7. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's instilling um, responsible operation of technology as well. Uh, we value people more than technology, and so we value our relationships and our family more than technology. It's not technology and families, just what I have to put up with to have my entertainment. So we're empowering parents to actually take some control back and have some boundaries. Um, we have digital contracts for when kids get their first device where they have contracts on what they can do, how much time they can spend online, and the contracts may include uh, we have to do our homework first before we do something recreational. We uh, have to, it's geared to respectful behaviour to parents and to their siblings, and that's part of the privilege of te technology. So this is a written document that the parent and the child agrees to. I've heard this elsewhere, actually. I've heard this, a uh, few parents have used something like that. And we might uh, maybe grab a copy of that from you if we can and maybe put it on the website. And so that's something that's written down that both, you know, the kid and the parent agrees to. Sounds a bit extreme. Yeah, and you'd probably be surprised, but often when this is being established mm. and, you know, the, the, there's the discussion around, well, well, how much time do you think is a reasonable time to be able to spend online? Kids will actually probably offer a lower amount of time than you would expect. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah wow. they do. So, you know, you you're thinking they're going to say oh 4 hours and they might actually only say, well, probably an hour a day. So, you'd be surprised at how actually they are receptive to it. Most kids I think know that yeah. this is not great, but because of the addictive nature of it, it's very hard to get away from it. And even as as adults, we struggle with that as well. And so when do, you, when do you introduce that concept? Because you will have parents listening who have got you know, kids who are five years old and some who are 15. Can you introduce something like that at 15 with your kid today if there's a problem? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> by, by 15, it would be hard to introduce a contract. Yeah. Um, however, at 15, the discussion is very different than it is with a five-year-old. Mm. And... I guess developmentally we have to adjust and meet the child where they're at mm. and then tailor the the language and the input around where the, developmentally where the child's at. So a five-year-old you'll talk to it like a five-year-old and it'll be very directive, but a 15-year-old, they're flexing their muscles, they're exercising um, their responsibility as an adult uh, but that responsibility also has to go with provisors. Parents want to give responsibility to their 15-year-old. They want them to grow and take responsibility. It's part of growing up but that responsibility uh, has to be earned. 
and uh, and shown, yes, I am responsible. Yes, I am making good choices. Yes, uh, I do have balance in my life. I am, uh, yes, I play video games, but I also do sport and I also have a job and uh, at Macca's or whatever. And, uh, and I'm also respectful around the home. So, of course, they're the sorts of things parents can work with. And, yeah. and it empowers the kids that if you show yourself responsible, you will get more responsibility mm-hmm. and will treat you as a grown-up. Yeah. What about uh, technology in bedrooms? No. <laughs> no, it's across the board. Uh, the consensus for uh, anyone, especially child protection uh, agencies. There's uh, a speaker, Brett Lee, who is with eChildhood, um, who speaks internationally, and he was an ex-cop, and uh, he deals with uh, cyber safety online. The uh, instance of predators online goes up significantly after 10 o'clock at night. It, it, he and, says, and why is that? Is that just because that's when they're waking up or is that because that's when it's best to... Basically when they know that generally there's no parent supervision. Right. And so therefore they can start to undermine the, the parental control. They know that parents normally wouldn't allow their children to be up at that time. If they are, there's a good chance they're in their bedrooms in which case they can operate without any sort of parental awareness of what's going on. So uh, he says that you can uh, halve your chance of your child being contacted by a predator by taking all devices out of the bedroom. Right. So you have all devices should be in a public place, family room or wherever, and no device in the bedroom at all. Now, in saying that, I know there are... Lots of parents who say, well, we put all the devices out on the kitchen table and they're all on their charges at night, but kids aren't silly. Uh, most of them will get up when the parents go to bed and go and get them out and, uh, and take them to their room. So that's not a good solution. Uh, the good solution might be in the parents' bedroom. Yeah. Even then I've had some kids go in and... <laughs> <laughs> so determined, I'm sure they'll find a way. Yes. Um, dear. And in terms of that safety, are these predators, how are they contacting them? Through what platforms? Is it through gaming platforms? Is it through social media? Is it through basically any anywhere where there's an ability to have direct one-on-one? To communicate. Um, yeah. And it's a communication from any platform. Yeah. And they people will not pose as who they really are. They will pose as somebody who matches their target, you know, a 13-year-old girl or a 16-year-old boy or whatever. So they will be, you know, middle-aged people posing as somebody much younger and they will target and they know exactly what to do and how to get the right information from a child. So part of, I guess, education around this is preparing your child for safety online. And the eSafety Commission, which Jedward mentioned before, um, has a lot of information about how to keep your child safe, teaching your child what to share online, what not to share online, and and also the red flags that go along with somebody who is potentially grooming your child at at those times. We'll put a link to those websites, and I'm sure you've got some others too. We'll put a link to those in the show notes um, so that parents can go and access those and and read up themselves. Because I assume... As a parent, you're, you're, the best opportunity for you to protect your child is to be educated about, about that. We, we've had um, kids that have been 
groomed by predators in Minecraft chat room, yeah. uh, Roblox chat rooms, yeah. and uh, where parents think, oh, Minecraft, that's simple, and there's nothing wrong with Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, there are loads of kids that, um, that play Minecraft and Roblox, but, um, but the, um, the chat rooms are places where predators know that generally they can go in there and pose as another child. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, kids will give out all sorts of information because they just think they're talking to other kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think you mentioned when we were in Queensland about uh, he came to Adelaide and he did some exercise while he was here. Can you talk to that? Just to scare parents just a little bit more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was it was very scary. Uh, the South Australian police were uh, wondering whether they needed a, an e crimes uh, division. Um, to uh, they felt that we probably didn't have too much of a problem down here. It's Adelaide, and uh, and so he came down, set up a a fake. Uh, online uh, presence. He posed as a 12-year-old girl and uh, I think within 48 hours he had enough information from predators who were getting in contact with this 12-year-old girl to um, that led to something like 22 arrests. So that was in 48 hours. 48 hours. Mm. It's pretty horrendous, isn't it? It just blows the mind. I, I saw another presentation that he did and uh, in South Australia at that time there was a map and there were little red lights all over it with how many predators were online and it was around 10,000 and that goes up after 10 o'clock at night. Right. So uh, there are, it's, it's really important that parents recognise that if a child has a device in in their bedroom especially, it is no different from the child being in Hindley Street at on a Saturday night at 2 o'clock in the morning unsupervised. So, so for those listening in other parts of the world, Hindley Street is full of pubs and bars and strip clubs and all sorts of unsavoury things. And they're probably safer there because they, at least they have police patrolling there. But if they're online uh, at night, unsupervised, they can be anywhere in the world and anyone in the world can contact them yeah. and be talking into their lives and grooming them. And, uh, and it's a big problem. And, uh, and we hear of it regularly. We're constantly teaching the children but it's important that the parents understand the world in which their kids are growing up in and the sorts of things that they have to make them aware of and the things that they can do to help make them safer. Uh, We can put filters on computers and uh, there's several of those. That Any, anything particular that you recommend? Uh, Family Zone is one that we've recommended in the past. And so is that, a, is that a device that sits on your home router or is it an app that sits on your phone? Or? Uh, it's a, uh, a device that plugs into the router yeah. and it comes through there. Then you have an app on your phone so you can switch off and on uh, devices. So if you're at work, you can look on your phone and see that so-and-so is on their Xbox and they should be doing their homework, then you can flick off the uh, the app and switch off Xbox. Yeah. I know one parent said to me, 
it was great because instead of having the fight when it was you need to turn off your devices, time's up, they just flick it off and say, well, I can't help it. Family's own did it. Yeah, or it's a timer, right? So you've got this third party yes. intervening. There is another one um, that, that I've found is, is probably even more user-friendly. It's called Bark. And um, one, of the, one of the aspects of that as well, because a lot of the communication, as we said before, between kids is online, their social connections are online. So if they're feeling particularly depressed, um, if they're at risk of self-harming, um, if they're feeling of having suicidal thoughts, Bark will pick up on a variety of different sentences where they may be texting friends and things like that oh, really? and alert the parents wow. to say that, you know, obviously your child is in a very vulnerable mental state and so it can actually help to monitor that to make it so that you can be more proactive yeah. and actually protecting your kids when they're feeling particularly anxious or, or upset. Yeah. So because a lot of those sort of conversations, a lot of um, what I have found, the girls will communicate how they're feeling to each other, but they won't necessarily communicate that to their parents. Part of development is growing up to be an adult. Yeah. They think they're in that state. They don't want to rely on their parents, but the reality is they still need their parents to support them through those very vulnerable times. So if you're going to implement some of these, uh, you know, some of the tools and some of the you know, processes and uh, I assume you don't, you know, parents don't just take this today and implement all that stuff and I assume there's a conversation that needs to happen with their kids yes. about not only the what but really the why that sits behind that. Yeah. Mm, okay. And sometimes it's good, I'll, I'll say to parents, to have a, a family meeting where the whole family get together and work out what they want as a family and how they want their home to be. If they want their home to be a sanctuary and a safe place and a place where we can uh, respectfully interact with each other, then what are the things that we need to get rid of? What are the things that we want to hang on to but we want to uh, improve on? And what are the goals we're going to set for ourselves? So it's like a doing a little family stock take with everyone having input. And, uh, and that's... That's good, not just with technology, but with everything, every aspect of family life. I assume the parents have a role to play here in being role models around good technology usage. Yes, it, that is really important because it's pretty hard to tell the uh, kids to get off their devices if your device is sitting in front of you and it's interrupting you when uh, uh, right throughout uh, your time that should be family time. Yeah. It's, uh, it is good to, it's really important to be a good role model. Kids watch parents for a living. Uh, they model themselves on what they see and it's really important for uh, parents to not only be a good digital role model but also be good uh, role model in the way they interact with not only the children but with each other. Um, relationship role models. Kids learn about relationships by watching the parents interact. And so it's really important for the, the parents to be mindful that they're being watched all the time. It's okay to be respectful and, and loving and caring in the way in which you talk to each other and, and because that's what a good relationship looks like. Imagine a kid who, you know, whose job and purpose in life is to watch their parents <laughs> and learn from them. 
if they go up to their to their parent and and want to talk to them, and their parents on their phone looking at something and scrolling and going, uh huh, uh huh, yep, yeah, uh huh. What they're really saying is, you're not important, Johnny. Yes. Um, I often ask the little kids. Uh, what makes you angry? Because we're teaching them about emotional intelligence and how to understand their emotions and working with anger and fear and and sadness and disgust. And uh, so I say, what makes you angry? And it's it's amazing the amount of times that kids will go when mum or dad's on their phone and I'm trying to talk to them, and they they go, I get really angry because. They are concentrating on something they're doing on their phone. It might be answering an email for work or it might be on Facebook or whatever it happens to be. The kids don't know. All they know is is I want mum's attention now or dad's attention and I'm not getting it and it makes them frustrated and angry. So it's interesting that that's something that I hear common in, in fairly commonly. I'm sure parents are equally frustrated when their kids game when they can't get them to come to the dinner table. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> that's, that's when it's payback time. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's a real there's a real subtle influence that occurs as well. With if if we're not teaching our children, then who is? So if if kids get are getting all their information, all their their role models, their ideals as far as. Um, what they look like and the, what relationships look like. If they're getting that from their phones and from the world in that regard, um, then it's going to impact how they respond and how they react within their own relationships and how they view themselves. And I think that's one of the things that I see a lot with the girls is just the impact that that has on how they view themselves, how they view their friends, how they view um, boys and how they view their parents, you know. So it's actually infiltrating and affecting very subtly every area of life and the values that we hold are being sort of shifted. Yeah. So what do you say to those parents who say, yeah, but, Jenny, she's a, she's a good kid. She's well-adjusted. Sure, she's on her phone way longer than your recommended guidelines from the WHO. She's okay. I don't need to do anything differently. That's a, that's a tricky question. I think the thing is that what we're dealing with is when, when we actually see the fallout, when the fallout has become extreme or when the fallout is, is, is impacting that child. And so there'll be red flags that will start to manifest. Jenny might start to be a little bit depressed. She might start to disengage. She might be more, more tired than she normally is. She might be skipping her meals and, oh, I don't want breakfast. So, you know, huge change in the way girls are eating these days. Most of them don't have breakfast, but then what we're finding is they won't eat all day either. So, you know, all of these sorts of things. So the important thing for Jenny is to, I don't know, that was the name you said, wasn't it, Jenny? (laughs) Hypothetical Jenny, is to watch for subtle changes that are outside of of what she would normally be like. And, I mean, look, she... But is it it a bit like good healthy eating habits, right? Do you implement the, the good habits before there's a problem so that there isn't a problem? Or do you implement the good eating habits after the after you've already sick? Look, I think with, with, with eating, the difficulty is, you know, you've got a lot of control when your child is young. However, once they're older and in the teenage years, you kind of do lose that a little bit. And kids, kids will skip meals and, and parents won't even know. Uh, we've, as I said, a, a great increase in disordered eating 
which is the precursor to an eating disorder. And I'll often have to have that conversation with the parent because I see a huge risk factor. Eating disorders are the biggest, is the biggest killer of young women, young girls of the age of 14, biggest killer. So it is a big problem. And usually the last person that is aware that their child is not eating is the parents because, you know, they see them at night, they might have one meal and a lot of kids are like, oh, I don't feel like eating. Oh, I'll just have my recess and lunch, but they actually don't. So, you know, uh, one of the, the things I always talk about with, with gir- the girls is um, how, what they're eating during the day and their fatigue levels um, and all of these sorts of things. So it is, a, again, one of the red flags, I think, that parents need to be aware of. And social media is hugely impacting how girls view themselves, view their body and view their, their self-image mm. and their self-worth. So, so around social media, what advice do you have for parents around moderating that, managing that, understanding what's, you know, that, that's not necessarily reality? What's, what's the right, what's the advice there? Well, I think one of, one of the things with, with social media is for there to be a lot of restriction around privacy, a lot of education, a lot of conversation around it. They do communicate on that platform all the time. And so it's hard to actually restrict it completely, but it needs to be monitored. You know, parents should be aware of who their kids are friends with, how much time they're spending on it. One of the biggest things to do is to turn off notifications. So the the phone is not sitting there pinging all the time and creating that addictive cycle that it does do. So uh, just once again, a lot of limitations around it and a lot of conversation. So just turning the notification pr- off on the phone yes. right, is a good, is a good practice. Yes. All, all of the, the CEOs, the designers of all of these things, what they say, well, they say a couple of things. One of the things they say is, I will never let my child have a phone. <laughs> um, and the other thing is one of the biggest things that you can do for yourself and for your children is to turn off notifications because it creates a cycle within the brain that stimulates this addictive behaviour. It's a bit of a Pavlov's dog thing, it, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. The reward centre of the brain is, is impacted so that the, the desire for likes and for communication is just such a strong thing. Yeah, I think with, with boys as well, uh, in working in that area, the um, throughout the teenage years is a time where they learn about uh, relationship and communication and conflict resolution, being able to solve problems and uh, talk to one another, being able to connect with one another personally, learning how to read each other's body language to uh, get the whole picture instead of just the words because for guys generally we hang on to the 5% of communication which is what we say rather than all the 95% of communication which is all the other stuff we call nonverbals, and reading people's body language and, and getting the full picture of what's going on, having empathy and understanding of the other person. Now, what I'm seeing in working with adults is often young couples in their 20s and 30s, the problems that they're having is that the guy hasn't got a a clue about relationship, communication, being able to have empathy and understanding and to be able to uh, connect and work or solve conflicts in a, a 
a responsible way with their partners. Is that just a guy thing or is that a guy thing that's exacerbated? I think it's a guy thing that's exacerbated with technology because uh, if they're gaming a lot, it's all one word cliches that they're throwing out at each other because that's goes with the territory. Um, if they're talking to one another, normally it's the same. They're side by side. They're not looking at each other. They're not um, understanding how relationships work and uh, and uh, taking notice of it. And then there are also the influencers and the the, the popular people that are available online um, who are talking about um, well, basically toxic masculinity they're pro, uh, promoting, which is uh, affecting the way in which they think and see the world as well. I think that. For, for, for girls as well, there is there is an impact as well, and the the expectation of what a relationship looks like. Girls will influence other girls, so the girls will go to their peers and talk about their relationship, which is often once again it's all online, and so often it's not a greatly balanced view of what the relationship should be like. They are taught from a lot of the shows that are on TV, you know, Love at First Sight or Married at First Sight and Love Island and all these sorts of places, I know, which, again, gives a very skewed impression of what a relationship looks like. And if we're talking from a biblical perspective as well, you know, that's all just gone out the window. So the expectation of what a, what a guy should be like and how they should be treated and, and, and what have you has been influenced, again, by a lot of um, social media and TV programs that promote a very self-centred attitude towards a relationship. It's all about me and what I'm getting from the relationship rather than what we can give to each other and do together. Which is the exact opposite to what we read in the Bible, right? And we read in Ephesians, we read all about that um, you know, a husband should do this and a wife should do that and that's how they turn up in a relationship and so it's, it's all been, about the others. It's been lost on both sides yeah. in, that, in that regard, I think, yeah. where the value is placed on what I'm getting in the relationship rather than focusing on it. Um, you know, so it's a very, very difficult thing. And because kids are, um, are involved and seeing and experiencing all of these sorts of things from a very, very young age, you know, you see it even in year five kiddies who are, you know, 10 years old, where their idea of a relationship is often unrealistic expectations. Yeah. From that perspective, again, uh, from a point like pornography has had a massive impact on the expectations within relationships as well and, and what's expected and, and what is okay and what's appropriate. And that's had a, a huge impact on relationships that will often continue on within, within a marriage. Mm. So that becomes a very difficult thing too. Yeah. The Bible talks about being in the world but not of the world. And I think a, a lot of the things that um, kids have to deal with, there is the opposite to what the the... The Bible encourages. Um, the Bible talks about being contented. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And generally technology is teaching us to be not contented yeah, and yeah. to be dissatisfied with ourselves, with our relationships, with our jobs, uh, with the world around us. It talks uh, about being clear and uh, having direction and purpose uh, in the Scriptures and yet technology talks about confusion and uh, everything about it is confusing and 
um, for a lot of people. They're confused about their gender. They're confused about their relationships. They're confused about their career and their happiness and what makes them happy and what is important and what isn't. And there's uh, they're confused in so many aspects of their lives. And then that, of course, comes out in their anxiety and depression and mental health issues that uh, they really wrestle with and struggle with because the uh, there is p- such a huge part of their world through technology is telling them otherwise. Mm. And if you don't have something to balance that up with, uh, which I think is, is a great uh, advantage and privilege of being a Christian, having the word of God to balance things up yeah. so you can go, yes, I can see that this is happening or this is what's being said. However, I have the truth which is so different mm. and it gives me purpose and direction and I can stand on it and I can be confident and content in the, the simple things that really um, add meaning to my life yeah. and give me purpose and direction rather than everything that's making me discontented. Yeah. So the key takeaways that I've taken away from this conversation, parents, it's your obligation to protect your children. Right. It's technology or access to technology is a privilege, not a right. So have that conversation with your children about why, um, about protection, maybe together as a family unit, right, about what we want this family unit to look like, that the world is not safe out there, but there is an opportunity. We don't want, to, we don't want our kids to withdraw completely from society, but there are ways for them to be safe, to have appropriate use of technology um, so they can still be part of society but uh, grow up as really happy Christians mm-hmm. and use the Bible as a great foundation for that. Yes. Good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was really good. I'm sure there'll be lots of questions that come out of this. So um, we'll put all those resources on on the webpage as well so parents can come and educate themselves um, and use some of those tools. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. No Thank you. Well, wasn't that fascinating? Amazing. Pretty eye-opening. Confronting too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But hopefully now people are armed with a little bit more information. That's going to be a challenge, I think, to if your kids are already well in that zone of using technology, it's going to be a bit of a challenge for you. But, you know, you'll get through it. It's worth it. Mm, It's worth pushing through and setting those standards now, no matter where you are at with your um, children, have a chat to them and don't be scared to put these helpful hints into place. Yeah, absolutely. So on the website, he says, she says, godsays.com. On the episode page, you will find the links that Jed and Briar talked about. So you'll be able to click on those and you'll also find uh, some of the downloadable uh, documents that uh, we mentioned as well. So Yeah, so get on it. Yeah, get on it. Awesome. Cool. All right, until next time, he says. She says. God God says. says. Oh